So let's uh, spend some time in prayer together as we pray through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yes, Lord, may your name be glorified, especially in the times that we're going through. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we think of a time when you'll come again and when we as believers in Christ will go to heaven or when you come again, there'll be no more suffering, no more division, no more racism, no more cruelty to police, no more rioting, no more coronavirus. Lord, help us to know this truth and share that with others that don't know you, Jesus. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, continue to provide, especially for those that are without work and those businesses that have been affected. Lord, continue to provide for our church. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Lord, let us have great patience and love with all those that are around us. Right now, the world is really testing our patience. So I pray, God, that we would be the best versions of ourselves by counting on you and counting on your grace. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yes, Lord, keep us far away from the evil one who is looking to devour us and devour our families. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Yes, Lord, you are sovereign. You are in control. And as we're going to learn today, you are faithful and you're able to keep your promises. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, we are going to jump back into our study of Genesis this morning. And the point for this morning is that God is faithful and able to keep promises. And I wanted to tell you a few examples about how that's happening right here in the life of the church. First, I just have to tell you some financial highlights that have happened in the church. Uh, first of all, we've exceeded our budget giving goal by 57000 this year. And that's just amazing with everything going on. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for all of you that are giving online, here in person. We're so grateful for your generosity. The staff has worked really hard to cut expenses because we didn't know what was going to happen through all this time. We still don't really know what's going to happen, so we cut expenses significantly. We've been able to give over a quarter million dollars uh, to church planting around the world to start new churches all around the world and we're so thankful that we get to do that because uh, we believe the gospel is not just here for the United States but for around the world. Uh, we haven't had to reduce any of the staff's salary or uh, have to reduce staff in any way so thank you so much for, for your generosity and we've had several large gifts. Someone gave 220000 A couple weeks ago someone gave 74000 We're thankful for the big gifts and the small gifts so thank you so much for your generosity God is definitely faithful and able and um, we just feel so unbelievably blessed to be able to partner with you for the sake of the gospel and we see God being faithful and able also in the next generation we had our virtual VBS and we highlighted that last week and we're hearing about more and more kids coming to faith in Christ and next week we'll have a full report of all the people that came to faith in Christ and uh, thank you for allowing us to be one of the only churches that I know of in the area that did a vacation Bible school that pressed on pressed forward all the thing that's happening in the student ministry you just saw that amazing video of just the sixth graders uh, coming in and having a great time as the students have been able to meet back in person the last couple weeks we've recognized that we have a huge need for leadership uh, in the student ministry we need more leaders and so if you're willing to think about pray about to be able to have a conversation about stepping up and helping the next generation know about Jesus the most important thing that we can do for the next generation if you're willing to 
help, just write it on the card. Uh, the cards are right in the seat backs in front of you. Just write, hey, I'd like to get some more information. You're not committing your life or anything. We just want to have a conversation with you because we believe that's a really important and vital uh, ministry as we look to see that God is faithful and able to keep his promises. And we've been going through Genesis. I want to update you and remind you about where we've been because we took a week off with celebrating vacation Bible school. We looked first, uh, we've been going from chapter one, but this is just really the focusing on Abraham uh, over the last uh, several weeks. Uh, we looked at the first couple of chapters in chapter 11 and chapter 12 about the calling of Abraham. And then we see right after he gets called, he starts uh, down this path about lying about his wife, Sarai, and uh, saying that she's actually his sister. And so he goes where he isn't supposed to go to Egypt and starts doing things he isn't supposed to do. And so if that sounds anything familiar to your life, it does to mine. And it gives me a lot of hope that God's able to still use Abraham and still able to use us. Then he faced this test of prosperity and he gives Lot, his nephew, the first choice of land when really he was the one that should have got the first choice. And, and Lot chooses the land near Sodom and Gomorrah and so then he has to go and rescue Lot from the king, kingly battles that are happening. And then God establishes his covenant with Abram and then they fall back into this pattern of worshiping God, not worshiping God, doing what God says, not doing what God says. And then uh, Abram sleeps with Hagar and they have Ishmael and then there's the sealing of the covenant through circumcision then Abraham pleads for Sodom and Gomorrah Sodom and Gomorrah gets destroyed and then Abraham lies about his wife again he's clearly not learning from his mistakes here and now we're able to see that God is faithful and able to keep his promises with the birth of Isaac. And so that's where we pick up the story here. We're going to read the first seven verses this morning here in Genesis chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can look up on the screen, whether you're at home or here in person. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when, Isaac, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. We're going to talk this morning about God being faithful and able, and then we're going to talk about how that should make us be really joyful. It's difficult to be joyful and happy in this time, isn't it? There's a lot of things that are going on in the world, a lot of things going on in our lives, and so we're going to look at being, God being faithful and how we as believers can really fight for joy. Remember, uh, 25 years they've been waiting for Isaac, we've been waiting for this promise to happen. Sometimes you're wondering, is God going to show up? And when you have prayers to God, maybe you're wondering where he's at right now. Imagine waiting 25 years. 25 years they waited for this promise. But God is faithful and able to keep his promises. And we see in the first couple of verses here that it says that the Lord was gracious at, to Sarah, as he said. And he did what he promised. 
This was on God's schedule, not man's schedule. I know very often I like things to go by my schedule, but God has his own schedule, his own timing. And so he said that he was going to promise uh, Isaac. He said it was going to happen in a year the last time he talked to Abraham. And here it is, uh, that year has passed, and now Isaac is born. And they give birth to this son, and they give this name, Isaac, uh, which, which means laughter, which means joy, because they see the joy that it brings them that this promise has been fulfilled. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When, Isaac, when the son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him. And this was a very important thing because it was an outward sign of an inward reality, much like baptism is now for us. That if we are baptized, we're saying to the world that we belong to God. When the child was circumcised, it was, this child belongs to God. It was a vital thing. It was a very important thing. It was a very important thing for them to do. And then it says in verse 5 that Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah was 90 years old. So this was really God being faithful, really God performing a miracle in their life that he is faithful and able to keep his promises. And both those things are vitally important, that God is faithful that we can count on him. We know that he's going to show up. We know that he has his own plan, his own sovereign will, but we can count on what he's going to do in our lives. But he's also able. If he was just faithful but not able to do things, if he was just faithful to us but was not powerful to do the things that he promised, then it wouldn't be worth much. He's also able. He's also powerful and mighty so that he keeps his promises. That's an absolutely vital thing that he's both. We read about in scripture that he has the throne of grace. We don't hear about many rulers, many kings. When you approach a throne, you think of power, you think of justice, you don't think of grace. God is both. He's powerful and mighty, and he's also gracious and loving. He's both of that, those things to us. He's faithful and able to keep his promises. And those things are so vital for us, especially in the world that we live in today with so much confusion, so much chaos. We read in Hebrews chapter 11 the, in the hall of faith that's often referred to. This is verse 11. It says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past his age and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, he was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. That's the God that we serve. He's able to work in ways that we can't even imagine. Here's this 100-year-old guy that Scripture describes as good as dead. And he has a 90-year-old wife, and they're able to bore a son. And because of that, descendants after them, after them, after them, come the people of God. And I doubt there was anybody that's ever been more loved than Isaac. I mean, can you imagine waiting 25 years for the promise to happen? Now the promise happens, and you know that the line of God's people is going to come through this promise, through this covenant. Can you imagine the love that they had for Isaac? And what we see in Scripture, that Isaac was intelligent, and he was handsome, and he was an obedient son, fulfilling his parents' hopes and dreams. We see a little bit more about this uh, story in Romans uh, chapter 4. 
And this is where we see Abraham actually being a model uh, for our faith, our faith in Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, even though Abraham is in the Old Testament. This is verse, starting in verse uh, 16. It says this, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that may be by grace that may be, that, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. He's the father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls all things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham uh, in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were, were written not for him alone, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to our life for our justification. You see, he's the prototype for justification by faith. That we're not saved by the works that we do. We're not saved by how good of a Christian we are. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We don't get what we deserve. If I was driving in a car going 85 miles an hour down the road, what do I deserve to get? That's right, I deserve to get a ticket because I'm breaking the law. I deserve to get a ticket. If I go down to the local 7-Eleven convenience store and rob the convenience store, what do I deserve? Yeah, I deserve to get put in jail because I'm breaking the law. If I have this meal, every meal of my life, what do I deserve? Yeah. <laughs> I deserve a heart attack or at least some heartburn, right? Although every once in a while it's not bad to cheat like that, right? Now, if I have the Ten Commandments and I don't follow those Ten Commandments. If I have other gods before God, if I put other things before God, or if I have idols in my life, or I take the Lord's name in vain, or I don't honor my father and mother, or I uh, commit adultery with my thoughts or with my actions, or I bear false witness or I lie, what do I deserve? Well, Scripture says that I deserve death. And all of us deserve death. But you see what this scripture here says is that we don't get what we deserve. We get what Christ has done on the cross. He justifies us through faith. His perfect life, his, his death on the cross, his resurrection gives us life, gives us hope. That's what Abraham was trusting in. He was trusting in the God who is faithful and able to keep his promises. We all mess up. In fact, Scripture says we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has gone his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know what that means? 
All the times that we speed and all the times that we mess up, all the times that we break the commandments, all the times that we think poorly about God or we act in a way that doesn't honor him in the Bible. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, then he puts all of that sin on him and he imputes us his righteousness. That's what this scripture is saying, that he is faithful in our life to die for our sins, to live a perfect life, to go on the cross. And he continues to be faithful in our life. And he's able to overcome all of those sins. Are you so thankful for that? Are you so grateful that he's able to forgive you of all your sins if you put your faith and trust in him? If you're watching this at home and you've never put your faith and trust in him, won't you do that? It's the most important decision that you can make, to put your faith and trust in Jesus. He's faithful and he is able. If you're here in person, if you've never put your faith and trust in him, won't you do that? You can do it right in your seat. Whether you're here in person or at home, all you have to do is tell Jesus that you've fallen short. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you mess up. Join the party. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short. Tell him that. Admit that. Then believe what he's done. Believe what scripture says. Believe that he lived a perfect life and died death on the cross and rose from the dead. And then see, commit. Commit your life to him. I mean, is there any other way that's going to give you joy and fulfillment? I mean, I tried to live my life without God, without Jesus for 21 years of my life. And I tried to fill it with all kinds of different things. None of them gave me the joy that I find in Jesus. Doesn't mean my life is perfect. Doesn't mean there isn't issues. Doesn't mean there isn't hard times. But I have that foundation in Christ. How about you? What's your foundation in? Right now in a time where we're thinking about illness and death probably more than ever in, in the history of our country. What a time for us to be prepared. To be prepared to, to have joy in our life, to be prepared to face death. Because if we're not going to get sick and die from coronavirus, it's going to be something else. Death is 100%. Are you prepared? Put your faith in Christ. And then once you do put your faith in Christ, laugh with joy. That's what Sarah did here, didn't she? Now, just a few chapters ago, you remember that Sarah was laughing at God, but in a whole different way. She was laughing at God, mocking God, saying, are you kidding me? I'm almost 90 years old, and I'm going to have a kid. Are you joking? And she starts laughing, mocking God. Now she's laughing in a whole different way. She says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. You know, it doesn't say laugh at me. It says laugh with me. She has this joy from the Lord because she's seen him be faithful and able and she's laughing with joy. And because she's laughing with joy, it's contagious. And don't we need that right now? Don't we need that in our world right now? A little bit more joy, a little bit more happiness. And there's, in Christian circles, i got to take a little side road here for just a second. Because in, in Christian circles, there's been this debate about how Christians can be joyful but not happy. That seems so strange to me, that there has to be a distinction between joyful and happy. My wife, Christy, is the funniest person I know. When I'm around her, she makes me laugh. She gives me joy. She makes me happy. It's all those things. There are many places, though, in our Christian world that says that they're totally different. Listen to what this article says here. It says, joy is something entirely different from happiness. Joy in biblical context is not an emotion. There's a big difference between joy and happiness. 
Happiness is an emotion and temporary. Joy is the attitude of the heart. But one of my heroes, John Piper, says this. He says, if you have nice little categories for joy is what Christians have and happiness is what the world has, you can scrap those when you go to the Bible. Don't you love John Piper? He just gets right to the point. He says, because the Bible is indiscriminate when it uses the language of happiness and joy and contentment and satisfaction. In fact, there are several places in Scripture. Listen, Esther chapter 8, it says, for the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In Jeremiah, it says, I will turn their joy to mourning and bring happiness out of grief. In Proverbs 23, it says, give your father and mother joy. May she, you who gave birth, be happy. And there's more than 100 places in the Bible where you see joy and happiness together. And so the relationship between joy and happiness are, are, are together. And I want to show you an example of that right now. Because as we're fighting for joy, as we're seeing how Sarah rejoiced because God was faithful, we all should rejoice in God's faithfulness, and we should be joyful and happy at the same time. And I want to show you an example of how that can happen. Does anybody here like chocolate? Anybody like chocolate? Okay. George, I saw your hand come up first. Come on up, buddy. Come on up. You have to come on up here. Give it up for George. He uh, was quick to act. Um, now, do you really like chocolate? Okay, all right. I just want to make sure you really like chocolate because um, when I give you a bunch of chocolate, come on, let's just say I give you some Kit Kats and some Hershey's and some Lindor chocolates and some Crunch and some, how about that? There you go. So are you joyful? Oh, yeah. Are you happy? Oh, yeah. We can't see the smile underneath your mask, but we can just believe that you're happy. So give it up for George. Give it up. Where to go, man? Oh, he's dropping chocolate. I think one of those bags is open because my kids got into it on the way here, but it's, it's, all, it's all good, man. It's all good. See, joy and happiness work together. Sarah was joyful and she was happy. And in this world where there is so much different things going on in our lives, we have to fight for joy. Joni Erickson Tata, one of my, another one of my heroes, she says, I fight for joy because the alternative is too frightening. Isn't that true? That we as Christians, we know how all of this is going to end. We know that Jesus is going to come again. He's going to restore all things. And there's going to be no more suffering, pain, crying, hurt, illness, disease, none of that. There's going to be all the good things of earth without any of the bad things. We can't even imagine what that's going to be like because sin affects every area of our life. But there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and we're going to be able to rejoice in those things. And that's why Abraham and Sarah, even in their ups and downs of faith, they still held on and, cling, uh, and just clung to the fact that God is faithful and God is able to keep his promises. And so God promises that he's going to come again and he's going to restore all things. We need to cling to that. And when we cling to that, we should be joyful, right? Because we know of the hope that's going to happen. I want to help you a little bit this morning with joy, okay? So here are some things. We're going to go through these one by one of who we are in Christ. And this is just a small sampling of who we are in Christ. But listen to this. We are a people of God's own possession. Have you ever thought about that before? That God is the one that's created us. That he's the one that loves us. He's the one that cares for us. He knows every single uh, hair of, on our head. He knows everything about us. That you were chosen before the foundation of the world. 
mean, I think that's so cool. That God had a plan for us even before we were born. That he knew us even before we were born. He loved us even before we were born. Can't help but be joyful when I think of that. You're destined to become like a son of God. Man, that's really power that, powerful that we're heirs to the kingdom. Because of our faith in Jesus, that's how God sees us, just like his son Jesus. That's how he sees us, because of the righteousness that Jesus has given us. You were bought with divine blood. I think about how powerful that is that God kept his promise as a seeking and saving Savior. That here we are on earth in our sin, that we're destined to hell. And God sends his only son. God comes down from heaven, is in a womb for nine months, is born into a sinful place. And then we're able to experience life and hope because of what he's done, because of his faithfulness, because of the blood that is shed on the cross. Imagine being God. Imagine being God on earth and all these sinners are around you. They all leave you for dead. None of them are faithful in in worship. They all sin, and you're about to experience a painful and awful experience on the cross. It's not only painful physically, but it's painful emotionally. It's painful spiritually as there's separation from your Heavenly Father. That is what we're purchased with. We should rejoice. We should laugh with joy. You are acquitted and accepted before the court of heaven. I think of the long rap sheet that I have in my 40 years on earth. All the ways I've sinned against people, all the ways I've sinned against God. Man, my rap sheet is so long. And I was forgiven. I was acquitted of all those things because of what Jesus has done. When Abraham and Sarah remembered God's faithfulness, they laughed with joy. And we should laugh with joy too. That you're a new creation on the earth. Parker talked about that this morning. That the old is gone. The new has come. That we're not sinners uh, in the hands of an angry God with no hope. We have hope in Jesus. You are indwelt by the spirit of the creator of the universe. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were there at creation. And now the Holy Spirit is indwelt in us. Because of that, we can have power and strength. Because of that, we don't have to walk around as weak and defeated Christians. We have power and strength because of what Jesus has done in our lives. And because of that, we know that we can focus on Christ. We know that we can have hope and redemption because of what he's done. He gives us that power. He gives the power to believers, the power of the Holy Spirit. That you've been made holy by the body of Jesus because of what he has done, a holy and holy God dying on the cross, raising from dead, we too can be called holy. You were called to eternal glory. Doesn't that make you want to laugh with joy? That this is not all of our life. Praise God, right? I mean, as we look around and we look at some of the fear, we look at some of the suffering, we look at the death, we look at the riots, we look at the protests, we look at people going against each other, we look at all the politics that are happening in our country, and I'm so glad this is not my permanent home. I'm so thankful, right? I'm so thankful. I know my permanent home is going to have none of that. My permanent home is going to have great feasts. My permanent home is going to have great unity. My permanent home, God's going to restore all things. 
so grateful for that. While we're here on earth, we have a mission. And we have a mission to do everything that we can to tell others about the hope that we have. A friend of mine's husband just died yesterday. The only thing that mattered in that moment for that 42-year-old guy that died from cancer was whether he had faith in Jesus or not. That was the only thing that mattered. The only thing. And that's why we do what we do as a church. That's why we come together and worship God together. So that we come together and we laugh with joy. We fight for joy. And we help to spread that joy in any way that we possibly can. That we're heirs of the world. That all things are ours that God created. That we're destined to rule with Christ over all things. See, Christian joy is a great feeling in our soul, produced by the Holy Spirit, as he causes us to see our identity and worth in him. Through all of Sarah and Abraham's ups and downs in their lives and in their faith, they were able to focus, in the end, on the hope that they have in Christ. And because of that, it produced this joy and produced this happiness. Now listen, we live in a tough world. Life is tough. We're not always going to feel unbelievably joyful. We're not always going to feel happy. We shouldn't walk around as Christians just with smiles on our face all the time. But we should understand that we have a source of joy that's unchanging. He is the foundation of our faith. And because he's the foundation of our faith, we can understand that he is faithful, that he's able to keep his promises. Listen, in, in closing here, being discontent is real. And maybe disappointments that are happening in your life right now, failures that have happened in your life right now, you're feeling the effects of that. Maybe your circumstances are causing you to stop focusing on the Lord and for you to start focusing on your circumstances. I want to challenge you this morning, if that's you, to stop staring at your circumstances and then glancing at Jesus every now and then. Stare at Jesus. Then glance at your circumstances. We don't live in this false reality. Sometimes life is hard. We have to deal with things. But when we, when we gaze at Jesus, when we stare at Jesus through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we glance at our circumstances, we'll find this joy welling up in us, this happiness welling up in us. We won't, we won't be able to be stopped with our laughter because of all the great things that he has done. We believe as a church we have an unbelievable joyful burden to be able to do everything that we can, to be able to share the hope that is in us. Do you realize we're the only place in the world that has the answer? Everyone right now is wondering what to do. How are we going to get through this? How's the economy going to recover? How are we going to go to school or not go to school? How are we going to do all of this? We have the answer. The answer is Jesus. When we run to Jesus, when we look at Jesus, we laugh with joy. And when we laugh with joy, we're able to spread that joy to others. And all the circumstances that happen around us, they're really secondary. Our primary thing is worshiping Jesus. Our primary thing is counting on the God who is faithful and able to keep his promises. Let's pray together. Lord, I am so grateful and thankful 
that we're seeing more and more people around the world putting their faith and trust in you. Lord, as our country uh, doesn't really know where to turn right now, I pray that the church would be the church now more than ever, that we would laugh with joy, we would fight for joy, that we would count on the God who's faithful and able to keep his promises. Lord, thank you for being so faithful in your church here at Good News Church. Thank you for the financial provisions, and thank you for being faithful in the next generation, and thank you for allowing us to still come together and worship you. You are so good. Help us to laugh with joy. We need you in our life, and when you're in our life, God, we can't help but be joyful. Help us to remember the promises of who we are in you this week. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.